Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. Well, hey, let me look at a theme verse that uh, I gave you guys last week. And uh, here it is. If you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, 23 in the message says this, may the God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. So the God that makes everything holy and whole, may he make you holy and whole. God wants you to be whole. How does he want you to be whole? Well, spirit, soul, and body. And so we have a physical body, but we also have a soul and we have a spirit and the God who made it all. And the God that wants to make you holy also wants to make you whole, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to talk about another area in our life that we can get fit in. And to set that up, I want to look at another passage of scripture in the book of Haggai. Everyone say that. It's kind of like you you got to do it like you have some phlegm in your mouth or something like Haggai. I don't even know if I pronounced it right. But chapter one, verse number five in the NIV says this. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So last week, we talked about body, soul, and spirit, and how our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and so our soul, when it comes to our decisions, our ways, the things we're thinking about, says, give careful thought to them. I think that's a good idea, everybody, right? Even if this wasn't scripture, if John Maxwell was up here saying as a leadership tip, give careful thought to your ways, what you do and what you plan, that would be a pretty good idea. It says you've planted much, but you've harvested little. Anybody ever been there? You felt like you've given a bunch, but there's been little return in your life. You've worked out a ton and you're like me this week and you sit on the scale and you're like, what gives? You feel like you've harvested, planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never... I couldn't hear what you said. Sorry, could you say that again? No. (laughs) Somebody take this from me. Devils in Siri this morning trying to act. Great catch, Becca, by the way. You eat, but you never have enough. Anybody ever feel that way? You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them with a, in a purse with holes in it. Anybody ever felt that way? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And so if there was a maybe a title uh, for my message today or a thesis statement, it would be this. When it comes to your ways, when it comes to the things you do in life, give careful thought to your ways. Pay attention. Let's, let's, let's hone in on it a little bit. Let's think about what we're doing in life. And so I want to focus in on one area of this verse today. And I just thought it was funny because I thought, man, how true is this? And it's right before where it says, give careful thoughts to your ways. And it says this, you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody ever felt that way when it comes to your money? Some of you guys just puckered up a little bit. You're like, he's talking about money today. (laughs) Well, I only talk about it a couple times a year. And you know what? I am because it's complicated. Money is very, very complicated. Anybody ever realized that, thought about that? 
Last week, we gave a statistic when it comes to uh, mental health and our soul, and we said that post-pandemic, one out of every three Americans is said to struggle with mental health. I read a very interesting article this week, and it talked about the direct connection often between our finances and our mental health, and about 40% of those struggling with mental health would say, it's directly tied to my finances. And I want to just say this right up front, if you've come to church today and it's your first time in a long time or somebody invited you for the first time and your immediate thought is this, see, here it is, the church just wants something from me. Um, That is further from the truth. Today, I am not preaching this because I want something from you. I'm not preaching this because we're in need. I'm not preaching this because we can't pay our bills. We're doing really good, and so we don't need anything from you. I'm preaching this today because the God who makes everything whole and holy wants to make you whole and holy. And there are some areas, and money can be very complicated in our life, and it can, it can mess with us a little bit. It can cause some anxiety in our marriage. Anybody ever been there? It can cause some anxiety in our day-to-day life. And so it doesn't have to be complicated. And so there's no campaign today. There is no ask today. Close your checkbook, all right? I'm not asking for anything today. I just want to help you as your pastor. And to be quite honest with you, I have avoided this topic because I never wanted to start a church thinking you guys want something from us. And so uh, the other day, I was on my walk because I'm number four. Will, somebody just beat me yesterday, number six now in our 100-mile challenge. And, and I, was, I was walking and praying. I just said, hey, Lord, what would you have this week as we continue on in this conversation? I really felt like God spoke this to me. And I thought, God, no, not again. Every week, why are you asking me to do things that I'm not comfortable with? And so here we are. And so I don't preach this from a place today of we need something, but I preach this from a place today of we really want something for you, and I understand that this can be a complicated issue, but I'm also preaching from a place where Jennifer and I have tried to live out God's way of managing money ourselves, and so I preach it from a place of this is something that we are currently doing as well, and so I'm not asking you to do anything that we haven't, or I'm not going to give you anything today that I haven't already begun putting practice into my life as well. So when it comes to money, it's all throughout scripture. You may not realize that, but 16 of the 38 parables, and so New Testament parables, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talking, red letter stuff, uh, 16 of the 38 of them had to do with either money or possessions. On top of that, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and possessions. There's only about 500 in the New Testament when it comes to prayer and faith. And so 2,000 verses about money and possession, it's a pretty big deal. Jesus wanted us to get this right in our life. And the Bible is a great guidebook when it comes to how we see money and how we manage money and how we look at it. And there's a verse of scripture that I want to give you that I think speaks the very clearest to money. And it helps us understand that this is not just a practical thing, but it's actually very spiritual. Many times we think when a pastor gets up and preaches a topic like this, thank you very much, that was very practical, that was very helpful, I'll take your advice, I may not take your advice, 
But let me tell you, when Jesus speaks about it, it wasn't just to be practical, but it was a very spiritual thing. It was a thing that, that, that really mattered when it came to him, and it was something that it really, it, it, it can make or break this idea of being whole and holy, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six. If you're taking notes, please write this down. If you're not, just write it down. It'll help you. Go home, study this later. Matthew chapter six says this. Wherever your treasure is. So wherever your treasure is, guess what? The desires of your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. Again, body, soul, and spirit, all of our inner being affecting us, right? Our body affecting our soul, our soul can affect our, all of this stuff. And so he says, where your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. It's like saying there is a direct nerve between your treasures, your money, your worldly possessions, and your heart. It's like they're in connection with each other. And God wants nothing more since the beginning of time. It's the whole reason why Jesus came. He gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life with him, so that he could have our heart. You would agree with that. That God wants your heart. Nothing more than that. He wants your heart. And the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is also. Now you get that, right? There's nothing more that your spouse wants than your heart. There's nothing more that, that, that your kids want than, than your heart. And Jesus is saying, wherever your treasure is, your heart is also. Billy Graham said this when it came to money and just the idea of uncomplicating it. He said, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, well, it'll help straighten out almost every other area of their life. Why? Because there's a direct connection between our treasure and our heart our stuff, and this, and it affects us. In the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 18, verse number 13, or 16, sorry, verse number 13, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot, I looked it up in the Greek, it means cannot, there wasn't like a, a different definition. Serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. What in the world does that even mean? Well, when you look at this word money, it's really, um, there, there, there wasn't an English word for it. And so when you pull it up in, in the Greek, this word money, that, that was, uh, it, it's a transliteration, it, meaning um, that there wasn't a word, so, so the, the, the translators came up with a word, and the best word was money, but the actual word in the Greek is mammon. You cannot serve both God and mammon, and the closest thing to that, or the idea and the true meaning of mammon, was this idea of money and treasures. Who was mammon? Well, mammon really is a spirit. It was a Syrian spirit that was known really as the God of riches from Babylon. Now the word Babylon, if you look it up, means sown in confusion. Sown in confusion. 
Isn't there a lot of confusion around our money? Isn't there a lot of, lot of just like ideas around money and wealth and all of that that can bring a lot of confusion in our life? And this, this is mammon. So mammon wasn't just simply money, although that's a good translation because that, that's kind of the core of what it was getting after. But it was more than just money. It was really a spirit that was trying to earn your trust when it came to wealth and riches. Let me show you exactly, if you pull up the Greek word, what it says about mammon or mammonis. Mammon is riches, money, possessions, or property. The treasure, big bold, I'm not making this up, this wasn't deep down in the footnotes. This was right there underneath. The treasure a person trusts in. And so you cannot serve both God and treasure that you put your trust in. Meaning, you can't put your trust in two things. You can put your trust in God, who owns it all and is over it all and created it all, or you can put your trust in money. But the world wants us to put our trust in money. It is sown in confusion. It's why we use phrases like becoming financially secure. Well, how many of you know, I don't know if you ever really fully can become secure. We've seen people that had it all lose it all. Thought they were financially secure, but their trust was in it. And guess what? Money can fail you. But mammon wants you to trust in it. Mammon wants you to trust in riches. Mammon wants you to trust in money. Mammon wants you to trust in your stuff and in your property and put it all in that. And so where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so what are you trusting in? Because you can't trust in both. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot trust in God, but also just trust in your stuff. That's why 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. It says, for the love of money, not money. Money isn't bad. The love of money. Putting your trust in money. Well, it brings all kinds of evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sown in confusion. The spirit of of mammon that wants you to put your trust in it that can bring a lot of evil in your life. It's why so many people who put their trust in stuff are in debt. I gotta have more because if I have more, it makes me more. Money is not bad. Having more money isn't bad. Making a lot isn't bad. But if you love it, if you put your trust in it, if you hope in it, well, that's the spirit of mammon. So, something very interesting. Um, James Patterson and Peter Kim wrote a book in 1991 called The Day America Told the Truth. Fascinating. Um, and I was, I was doing some Google research on putting our trust in wealth and money, and this came up. And uh, I thought this was so crazy. And there was a question asked, and it was this, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? 
I want you to think about that. So two-thirds of Americans uh, polled, okay, two-thirds would agree to at least one or some of several of the following. So when you try to add all these up and you're like, it doesn't equal 100, okay, it's because some or several of the following, all right? And so this is what they said when it came to what would you do for $10 million. 25% said, I'd abandon my family. See ya. Sayonara. I just bought a beach. 25% said, I'd also abandon my church. Don't need them. 23% said, I'd become a prostitute for a week or more. Uh, 16% said, I'd give up my American citizenship. Uh, 16% said, I'd leave my spouse. Uh, another 10% said, I would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. $10 million. Uh, 7% said, we would kill a stranger. And 3% said, we put our children up for adoption. Some of you are like, I'd do that for free right now. You want them? Here you go. These are funny, and they're not. What would you do for $10 million? There's a lot of crazy things, and here's what it is. It's the spirit of mammon. Mammon will bring confusion and say $10 million is better than family. $10 million is better than your marriage. $10 million is better than your kids. $10 million and you take a chance of whether or not they'll actually catch you if you kill them. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here it is. What would you do for $10 million? And so two lies I think that Mammon tells you. Number one is this. Tells you if I have more money, I'll be happier. Anybody ever felt that way? Be honest. We all have. If I can make some more, I could get some more. I could have that. I could have this. And I'll just be a whole lot happier. It's partially true, and it's not true. <laughs> Happiness is temporary. So it will make you happy, but you got to understand that happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. And so it may make you happy for a moment, but it's not going to give you lasting joy because as soon as the new wears off, you'll just want something more. And so Mamma wants to say, if you have more money, you'd be happier. But when you get more money, guess what? I promise you'll want more money. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. Again, please hear my heart today. It's not those who have money will never have enough. Those that love money. Where are you putting your trust? What do you love more? Your treasure, right? Those that love money will never have enough. How meaningless is it to think that wealth brings true happiness? It doesn't because the Bible shows over and over that happiness is fleeting, but joy is what's eternal. And nowhere in scripture will you find that, 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 that you know, having more brings joy. You will find over and over that giving brings joy. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The generous are the happiest people on earth. I'll save that for later. Number two that Mammon says, it's this. I gotta keep up with the Joneses because what I have defines who I am. I mean, that's our world today. That what I have defines exactly who I am. And Luke 12 says this, it says, be on guard against every kind of greed. See, life is not measured by how much you own. Would it be nice to have some more? Absolutely. Is it nice to have nice things? Absolutely. Go buy a purse. Get a new car. Have a new house. Go on great vacations. But don't let those things have you. Don't put your trust and your identity in those things. And so it's not things are bad. The love of them are. So what are you putting your trust in? And so there's so many different things that I could talk about today when it comes to how do you break the spirit of mammon in your life? There's probably, I don't know, I I could have talked about eight or 10 things, but I got 10 minutes and seven seconds left. And so I want to talk today about really the training wheels when it comes to, to taking the spirit of mammon off your life that I think um, if you can get this, it can lock lots of, unlock lots of other areas in your life that help you not live by putting your trust in stuff, but rather putting your trust in God. And so the principle I want to talk about for the next 10 minutes is this. It's the principle of tithing, tithing. The word tithe simply means 10%. And simply put, it's this. It's deciding to give God the first. It's deciding to to really put God first and to give God the first. In the book of Leviticus, it says this, Leviticus 27.30, a tenth of the produce of the land is the Lord's and is holy. Throughout several books of the Bible, you see that the tithe is holy. One passage of scripture says this, that the tithe is holy and it actually belongs to the Lord. That's why often you hear us use language when we talk about tithing and giving is we're not, re, we're not giving a tithe. We're really, we're returning it. We're bringing back to him what is holy and belongs to the Lord. And I want to look at a passage of scripture with you that I want to ask you that maybe you've heard a hundred times. Maybe you've, uh, if you've been in church, you, you've seen this, and, and I want you to hear it today with fresh ears of what God might say to you. And it's in the book of Malachi, chapter number three. And, and, it, and it really speaks so beautifully to this idea of putting, putting our trust in God and trusting him when it comes to, to giving. In the book of Malachi, Israel is complaining uh, about the fact that God has has left them or they no longer can feel God. And it gets really complicated. And in the four chapters, uh, first four chapters of the Bible, it deals with, with four things that they did. In chapter number one, they weren't giving their best. They were giving uh, uh, blind and crippled animals. And God's like, you're, you're giving me not your best, but you're giving me the leftovers that you don't want. In chapter number two, it's dealing with their relationships. And then in chapter number three, it deals specifically 
uh, with their money and their possessions. And it starts off and it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. I think that's something powerful for us to understand right up front. I, the Lord, do not, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors have turned away, remember there's this very complicated issue here where they feel like God has left them. Ever since they turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And so God is saying, return to me. So you've turned away from the decrees and the things in which I put in place, and I'm asking you if you feel disconnected to return to me. And he deals with several areas, and and wealth and possessions or money is one of them. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says God Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? How are we to return to you, God? Will a mere mortal rob God? A question is asked. Yet you rob me. But how, you ask? How are we robbing you, O oh God? Well, he says, in your tithes and your offerings. You are under a curse. Now, please know, it's not God that put them under a curse. It was their unwillingness to return. They put themselves under a curse, okay? It wasn't God that cursed them. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And the Bible is using very strong language here. And it didn't matter which translation I pulled up. It was the same language here. And so I understand this feels strong. This is just what scripture says. You're robbing me. So it says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. I love that because there's always been this picture of of the, the, the house of God and the people of God having this, this storehouse where there was plenty and there was not lack. See, when, when we give and when we position ourselves God's way when it comes to our finances, when we give, we allow the church to lead with no need. When, when we give to the storehouse, and it's such a great picture to the world of why do they always have more than enough? Well, it's because they understand the principles. They understand of bringing the tithe so that there may be food, a storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And he goes on and he says this, I will preserve pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields, or or vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I'll prevent the pests from destroying it. I'll prevent the vines from dropping their fruit until it's time. And then all the nations, and then all the people in your cul-de-sac will call you blessed. For yours will be a delighted land or a fruitful land, says the Lord Almighty. And so here is this principle where God is saying, when you bring the first to me, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. And here's what you're thinking right now. Isn't that just an Old Testament law? Yeah. 
Actually, it is. It's the law. And so you don't have to do it. You're not going to heaven or hell because of it. You don't have to. But there's principles, actually, if it's just about law, there's actually principles in the book of Genesis that predates the law that speaks on tithing as well. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament, though, that you believe. You believe you shouldn't commit adultery. You believe that you shouldn't steal. I mean, those were under the law. You believe you shouldn't murder people, but nobody's writing blogs about that. But when it comes to this area, you want to go Google this? You'll find a thousand people that are like, I don't agree with that. The spirit of mammon wants to sow confusion. And so it's all believe in this, but I don't know if I'll believe in that. And I'm just saying, I get it. And so no, it's not. I mean, it is an Old Testament law. And so I, I get it. Jesus actually speaks about it. I don't know if you know that in the New Testament. He actually brings up tithing. He says this. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religion uh, or religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest of income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And so you might be saying, see, there it is. Jesus is saying the tithe doesn't matter. What really matters is mercy, justice, and faith. And I would say, yeah, absolutely those things matter. And he's saying, if you're tithing and you're putting me first in this, but you're ignoring this as well, there's something broken in you. But it wasn't an either or though, it was a both because he said, you should tithe, yes. You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So he's saying it wasn't either or, it was actually a both. You should do this, but don't do this and neglect this. But I wanna give you a principle that I, I think for me, when it comes to this idea of giving, has changed my life when it comes to understanding this. And honestly, if there were two things that define this house, many of you guys know that while this church is a little over a year and a half old, we came out of a church in Virginia, six locations, tens of thousands of lives changed. And if you were defined life point by two things, I think it's this. I think the spirit that has been on LifePoint has always been one of faith and one of generosity. Just always been in the house because we believed in this principle, Genesis chapter one, verse number one, very beginning. Something, four words that I think you could live by. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of my week, God. In the beginning of my year, God. In the beginning, it's just a principle I wanna live my life by. In the beginning of my finances, when I'm figuring out what to do with them, God. The beginning of my morning, my time, God. 
When it comes to my relationships, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible says in Exodus, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Isn't it true that God has brought us out of Egypt and slavery? He freed us from our sins through Jesus. And he said, you shall have no other gods before me. God who wants your heart and then the spirit of mammon that wants you to put your trust in it. And here's what tithing does. The book of Deuteronomy, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Do you have to do it? Nope. But if you do, it'll unlock something in you. It will break the spirit of mammon in you. Because it'll put God first in your life. Again, I don't want anything for you, from you. We don't need it. So it's like, I don't want anything from you, but I really do want something like for you. I want you to learn to put God first. And in doing so, live this blessed life. And you're saying like, that's prosperity gospel. And in Malachi, it said, when you put God to the test, when you, when you trust him in that, he'll throw open the windows of heaven. And listen, we don't give to get, we give to give. But ask every person in this room that puts God first in their finances, are you blessed? They will say yes. It's just a principle. And it's a blessing that follows obedience. And so tithing in in its very nature, it just communicates that I trust God first. 10%, 2%, wherever you want to start. It did say bring the whole tithe, but start somewhere. Because what you're doing when you choose at the first of your month to just return to God a portion is you're saying, God, I don't put my trust in money, but I put my trust in you. And until you learn to do that, you'll say things like, I can't afford to tithe. If you put your trust in wealth, you'll never be able to afford it. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits, Proverbs. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord, trust him in this. Bring the whole tithe, test me in this. I don't know, maybe that's for you today, that you need to just give God a shot in it. Test him in it. Test him with putting him first in your finances and see if it breaks off the spirit of mammon. See, giving, honestly, Guys, it's a test of my faith. 
And I honestly believe it's a test of yours. And so, today, I'm just simply asking you, what are you putting your trust in? And if money has you stressed out, and if finances have you anxious, are you Are you trying to figure it all out? Like if I could only get more, then I'll be better. Or have you sat down and say, okay, God, I'll trust you. Does that mean I've never had financial struggles? Absolutely not. But I've always been blessed. My marriage is blessed. My family is blessed. that's prosperity gospel sorry I'll try that because God I want to be blessed and I want your blessings on my life and so I won't get confused by the spirit of mammon that wants me to put my trust in it and say if I have more I'll be happier all this defines who I am. But no, I'll put my trust in you. And it's scary, yes. But I'll test you. And giving, really, it's a test of your faith. And if you're like, still, again, that's all Old Testament. That's why I said a minute ago, it's kind of the training wheels. If you'll start that, It'll get you moving in the right direction. Many scholars believe New Testament giving, they were giving all they had. Many of them, if they wanted to set a percentage, they said it was like 20. And so, if you want to go by the New Testament, here's what it says. Don't give under reluctance or compulsion, but predetermine in your heart what you should give. God loves a cheerful, generous giver. Would you close your eyes? Father, thank you so much. And God, I know that a topic like this can be complicated. So I pray that any confusion the enemy may want to sow into our hearts today. God, I pray that you would clear up by the work of your spirit. And Father, I pray that as a church and more as a people, that when it comes to our giving, that we would learn to trust you in it. So God, I pray that the financial chains that has held people captive in this room, I pray that they would be broken in Jesus' name. I pray as they act in obedience to your word, that in Jesus' name, there would be freedom, freedom, freedom. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.